But everyone knows that it's Stewardship Sunday. It's a big word. Why on earth would we use this word? Last year, we called it Volunteer Sunday. Ricky did a phenomenal job a year ago. I actually remember it, where he stood up and he says, you know what, you're part of a body, and body parts don't volunteer. And then we went back to the drawing board, like, okay, well, if it's not really about volunteering, but being the body, maybe we should call it Body Part Sunday. <laughs> and at the risk of making it sound like a biology class, rather not. Studying the scriptures even more and seeking God on it, it's really about stewarding the vision that God has for us. It's the word that the Bible likes to use when it speaks about us participating in the work of the kingdom through the expression of the church. We are all stewards of that. It's interesting when you go and read the definitions of a steward and a volunteer. A steward is the responsibility of managing and protecting something that's considered worth caring for. A volunteer works for an organization without pay. It's a whole different look at it, right? And I believe that caring for the vision that God has for His church and His kingdom in our world today is something worth stewarding. I don't know if you agree with me. We cast again in a fresh way our vision of who we are as every nation summers west last week. And vision points to where we are going, but stewardship is how we get there. It's great to have an amazing vision and say God has called us to all these beautiful things. And I'm not going to repeat it here this morning. But then it's stewardship that gets us to that place. Otherwise, we'll just sit back and keep looking at it and hoping one day we'll arrive there. And last week, we painted a picture not only of what God has for this house, but also that He has a glorious idea of His church. And when we speak about stewards, we get to steward in our master's house something that we care for and that He values in a beautiful way. And that's the idea that we get when we talk about stewardship, is that Jesus has this grand, amazing vision for His church but it's not only up to Pierre and a couple of leaders to make it happen. So I have faith this morning that you will be stirred again and that we would all leave here this morning as faithful stewards. This morning we're going to study the word and that's my title for us, Faithful Stewards. What does it mean to be a faithful steward of the vision that God has given us? I'm going to spend some time talking about the heart. Why do we steward? And we're going to look at the scriptures. Then we're going to add some head and just think about, okay, now that we've answered the why we steward, how do we steward? And then we're going to add the hands, and this is what we do to steward. So for the first section this morning, we're going to answer the why question. And the word steward in itself is an amazing, rich word. If you study it in a biblical sense, in how it's used in the scripture that we're going to read this morning, it speaks about an honorable, chiefly beautiful position who manages the house of God. So from God's perspective, when he sees all these stewards in his house, he thinks, that's honorable. That's chiefly. You know what a chief is? Someone who takes the charge. And the word that's used there as well is, it's beautiful to him. It's worship unto him. We've spoken about this so many times, that worship here is not our singing. Worship is everything we do in this house to serve God and others. We count as worship. If we diminish it to our music only, we missed the whole point. All of life is worship, and the way that we stew at the house of God, especially, is beautiful worship unto Him. Over the next few weeks, I'm excited to announce that we're going to do a book study on the book of Nehemiah. Next week, that's where we're going to start, 
But I love this. God comes and he gives an incredible vision to Nehemiah to go and rebuild the city of God. To them in that day and age, they counted Jerusalem, the city of God, as the great place where God longs to dwell. And it was broken down. And God gave him a vision and said, I want you to go and restore it. And he was so blessed that God would entrust him as a steward of that vision that he went and he called a whole lot of other people together and says, you know what? The city of God needs to be rebuilt. Who's coming along? And he cast the vision. And then I love the verse Nehemiah 2 verse 18 says, the people said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. And that's my trust here this morning, is that we would leave here, all of us saying, let us rise up and build and establish and advance the kingdom of God through the vision he has given his church globally and specifically here in a way that we will see many more people come to the salvation of Jesus and those who are inside will be made whole and that they would be radical disciples who make radical disciples. My prayer is that by the end of this morning, we will all say, yes, we're rising up and build, and how can we use our hands? Lord, let us strengthen our hands to steward the vision that you have for us. I look at the example of Joshua. They go into the promised land, and the Ark of the Covenant needs to be carried through the Jordan River into the promised land, and then he assembles the priests all the tribes, and he says, hey, you guys, it's your responsibility to carry the ark of the covenant into the promised land. Fast forward to today. Last year, we spoke about being priests and exiles, that each one of us are only a steward, but also a priest. We stand in the priesthood of believers. We get to carry the ark of the covenant represented the presence of God. We get to carry that into our world. So I want to strengthen my hands as strong as possible to put my hands on the Ark of the Covenant, figuratively speaking, and carry His presence into the world around me. Don't know about you, but if you agree to that, say, Amen, Pierre. I'm in. We're going to read together, and then I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to look at three quick thoughts on how we are faithful stewards of the vision of God's church. 1 Peter 4, verse 7 to 11, and I'm going to read it this morning from the NIV translation. Reads like this, the end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Lord Jesus, it's our prayer this morning as stewards in the house of God that we would be faithful in serving our master. I pray that each one of us as we study your word, would hear you speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Pray, Lord, that you would speak through your word, that you would anoint your words, and that it would be you speaking to us, and that we would leave here with a greater understanding of how we can participate in building and advancing your kingdom in this world. Trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Three thoughts out of this passage. It's amazing how he frames it. He says, the end is drawing near. It links so beautifully with the verse that Henry chose this morning out of Hebrews, saying the end is at hand. He's saying, guys, Jesus is about to come back soon. 
With that in mind, I want to encourage you to be faithful stewards. He says, the end is near. And then he says a whole lot of things, but I want to focus on three encouragements. He says, love each other deeply. Because Jesus is coming and the end of time is, is near and it's upon us, love each other deeply. And this is the motive of stewardship. The reason we are faithful and we serve and we play our part and we carry the vision of God's presence into this world is because of a heart of love for one another in a deep way. It's so amazing to, to understand that, and I shared this a couple of weeks ago, that one of the most beautiful supernatural things in church is how a big group of people can love one another so deeply that they look like family. I love this church just for the, the sake of coming here on Sunday mornings and just seeing so many amazing people that I really love. And I know really loves me. This morning I quickly greeted someone and he says, how are you doing? I said, you know what? Pretty okay, but uh, there's some big challenges. And he says, hey, let me know what I can pray for. And I'm like, yes, that's amazing. There's some love there. And that's the motive of our stewardship. If your motive has been to serve guilt or shame, or maybe you've been in a church where, or a circumstance, an environment where you've said, was told that it's expected and it's got to look like that, I believe God wants to change the motive of our hearts this morning. I believe he wants to exchange hearts that are solid for hearts of flesh and say, you know what? I love my people, and if you love them deeply, out of that overflow of love, you're gonna serve the house of God. We see it in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. That's the ultimate example. We serve in the master's house here. Jesus, the master over this church, we say it every week, he leads this church. He's the head of this house. We serve in his courts, and that's the example that he sets to us. Because of love, give away. Give away of your time, give away of your talent, give away of your finance, give away of your energy. Give what you have that I have entrusted to you because I'm the source of it. And let love be the motive and the drive by which you do it. If we are to honorably and beautifully manage our master's affairs, let's look at our master example of love. Let's have that vision in front of us of God who gave. And from that perspective, we give because we love. Secondly, he speaks about offering hospitality without grumbling. Do you want to say amen or aina? Aina for the non-Africans people is ouch. Offer hospitality without grumbling. I believe the Bible is written meticulously. He could have just said offer hospitality. Would have been much easier, right? But now, ah, that second part had to be added. And I'm excited about this section. When Peter wrote this, he had a different understanding of that word hospitality. Sadly, our English language don't always understand the cultural context of what was written. But if I had to literally take those words from the Bible and literally translate it, it would read, offer love for strangers without grumbling. So where on earth do you get this from, Pierre? Well, the word that's being used there consists of two words, philos, which is mean brotherly love, and xenox, which means, same word where xenophobia comes from, which means stranger or alien. So he says, offer, give, love for strangers to one another. And this comes out of a Jewish custom that the people of God lived in. 
They lived in a time and space and a geographical environment where it was ridiculously hot, where it was dry most of the time, where people had to walk with their feet. They didn't have air-con cars to regulate the temperature. Don't you just love it when it's a hot day, all the pictures on social media, 45, it's so hot, 23. Oh, no, 23 is not hot. 43, 33, 37, and then all the complaints like, ah, summer over, and then we're going to get to winter like, ah, it's so cold. Can summer come again? Isn't that grumbling? So these guys lived in the desert, and there was a custom that God entrusted to his people. He said, if strangers walk by, offer hospitality to them. We see it in Genesis chapter 18. I'm going to read it to you what it looks like. So Abram is sitting in the heat of the day. He's sitting under the trees in the shade, just getting by. Like, okay, 10 minutes past 12, six more hours, it'll be better. And he's sitting in the shade trying to just contain himself. I try and do that when I preach. It's just impossible. So if I'm sweaty, I'm so sorry. But he's trying to contain himself. Just, okay, I'm under the trees. And the next moment, three strangers walk up. And because of Jewish tradition and them actually believing that if they didn't show hospitality to strangers, they are sinning in God's view, what does he do? He doesn't go, Sarah, there's some people, go hide. And then they run into the tent and they hide like, and then people might come and say, anyone here? And they're like, it's too hot to make food. We don't want them to know we're inside. Also, he didn't go like, oh, can you believe it? These people on the wall, you know, I've got to go and just, oh. okay. Yeah, they're coming. Okay, I'll offer them some water. And like, these men come and this is what Abram does. It's amazing. It's so beautiful. It says, he lifted his eyes and he looked. It's the heat of the day. It's really hot. It's funny how quickly we complain when it's hot. Like, ah, no, I'm not going to do that. He lifted his eyes and he looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. Can't get away now, Abram. And when he saw them, he ran for the tent door to meet them, not to hide, to go and meet them. And he bowed before, before the earth. And then he said, O oh Lord, if I find favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. And then he says this, let a little water be brought and wash your feet. It's one of the customs that these people did. When a stranger passes by, take a moment to let their feet be washed. Isn't that what Jesus modeled? so many years later, and that he says, this is what I want you to do as to church to one another, and especially to those on the outside, wash their feet. Stinking, smelling, heat of the day, desert feet. <laughs> and then he says, and rest yourselves under the tree. Finds the coolest place. He says, you know what? It's lack of cool there. Go chill there. And then he says, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that, that you may pass on. So they said, do as you have said. And Abram went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. Sure, Sarah didn't say, wie jij om vir te sê? Ek ris. It's not like, it's my afternoon nap, Abram. You make the bread. It's amazing when you put it in context. It's the heat of the day. I'm not going to make a fire and bake cake. It's going to make the heat of the day go up. <laughs> says, quick, make three breads. Knead it and make cakes. Your best ones. Use your hands. Get in there. And Abram ran to the herd and took a calf, a tender and good one. And he gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. 
Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. He went out of the way to make strangers feel loved. And then even to the point that while they were eating, he was standing to their service. And that's what that scripture means. That's what Peter said. He used that very word to give a context to the people that, listen, the way that you have to love one another deeply is by going the extra mile through your hospitality for one another. Through packing out chairs, making coffee, greeting, parking a little bit further down the way so that someone who really needs to close up parking could use it. About sharing a cup of water. It's about greeting one another with warmth and welcoming environment on a Sunday morning. That's the context that it gives us. And throughout the Bible, we see it in Gideon, Lot, Samson. These people lived a custom of just going beyond themselves. So next time you read that, remember this image of Abraham who just got up ready to give of his best to people he didn't even know. Here's the best part. He did it without grumbling. Maybe in his humanity, there was a sense of like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And I, I had to repent. Just, God, I grumble. Sheesh, quickly and effortlessly. He didn't say, it's the heat of the day, Ugh, I've got to wash feet and make bread and put up a braai. See, Sunday mornings we get together and there's people who joyfully make a cup of coffee. There are men here at 5.30 in the morning to set our chairs. The worship team, if I don't know if you knew this, they come at 6 a.m. Because in this house we don't do diva. So the worship team sets up their own sound and then they leave last because they strike their own sound. That's offering hospitality without grumbling. And that's what I love about the church. If we can live like that, what an example is that to the world? What an example is that of love for one another? Philippians 2 says this, verse 3 to 7. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Let's take it into the new covenant, New Testament. It's even a greater example. Nowhere did Jesus ever say that, okay, now I'm the senior leader here. I've done my dues. I've achieved some stuff. I've served faithfully. I'm just going to sit back. It's your turn. He came and he emptied himself. He could have easily said, I'm God. I'm divine. I'm greater than all of you. You know what? Bring it. And sit back. To offer hospitality, we've got to have the mind and the heart of Jesus. And again, it's out of the motivation of love for him and others that he stewards that within us and then we steward his house in a profound and beautiful way. And then thirdly, he says, serve others as faithful students. And this speaks specifically about the gifts. Now, I wanted you to see this. It's not just about the gifting. There's some thought that you only use your gift when you serve in the house of God. No, you use hospitality and your gift. It's both. So there might be times where someone says, and there's an Abram moment, someone says, Oi, there's some people. Can you move some stuff for me? 
can you need bread? Can you do this? And you're like, yes, I can. Because I love showing hospitality. But then the beauty is we also get into a place where we get stuck into where our gifting is and we serve there as well. It's both these worlds together. That's how we are faithful students of God's house. It reads like this in another translation. As each one has received a special gift, charisma, which is the word there, for spiritual gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, I really hope some of you see that word manifold there, because this was what we were speaking about last week. That very same word is used. The vision God has for His church is that through His church, He would let His manifold wisdom be made known to the world. And here it is again. It's through us stewarding our giftings and serving in our giftings that the manifold grace of God again is portrayed to the world. Isn't that amazing? See, that's the aim that God has for us as masters or as workers over our master's affair in this house. That we would do it out of a love for him and a love for one another. That we would do it without grumbling. Every opportunity. I don't think Abram sat there and like, it's been a tough month. Maybe half a calf. It's like, hey, kill a calf and just, Cody boat <laughs> next Sunday. <laughs> we need it for then. Just get the best one. Attend the one. Sarah, make some amazing bread. He just, whatever he had, he just lavished it. And then thirdly, we're encouraged here as his church today to find our gifting. Some of you are not exactly sure what it means. And that's why life groups exist. That's why leadership is there to help you find that place where you can serve into the purposes of God in this house. And then the beautiful end of the scripture is that it's all to the glory of him. To him be the honor. When we serve as faithful stewards, he gets the honor. Then we don't walk around wondering if someone's gonna give me a pat on the back saying, yes, well done. You did so well. Now, we need encouragement, yes. The Bible also says encourage one another while it is today. <laughs> but we serve and we are faithful students for the honor of Jesus, for the honor of God and for the worship of God in our midst. And I wanna end this part of this morning with just this verse. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve. That's the goal. That's where Jesus wants each one of us. As we grow in his, our relationship with him and being formed into his likeness, he would love for each one of us to get to a place where like, I'm just here to serve. I don't mind if I don't get served. I'm here to serve God and his purposes in his house. Can we be a people like that this year? It's with that heart that we will see a vision fulfilled. It's with that heart that we can carry this vision of being a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible church who's all about devotion to Jesus, the demonstration of his kingdom, and making disciples and make disciples into our world and see people around us meet him.